three, two, one, roll the footage. Welcome back to the Strategy Sprints podcast. I'm Simon Severino, your host, and my guest today co-founded a company called Carl Lipso after graduating from Stanford Business School. He then went through Y Combinator Accelerator in 2014, raised a total of $10 million in venture funding by 2015 and sold the business to Carvana.com in 2017. He left then Carvana earlier this year to get into the auto loan refinancing space. Welcome everybody, Nicolas Hinrichsen. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. So cool to have you here. And today we talk how you raised 10 millions and then another 10 millions because right now most of our founders who are listening here are raising and it's harder than ever to raise right now for them. And especially the, there is the temptation to lose too much time when, when raising money. Because as we know, time should go into making the customers happy. So acquiring them, engaging them, and making them raving fans. So we are so excited to have you here. And what are you currently creating? (laughs) Good question. So my co-founder, I'll go into the story in a second, tricked me into the car space. I'm not a car enthusiast at all. He is, usually. Um, The first business was selling used cars online. Now we went into the business of helping Americans particularly save money on their car ownership. So this could be on their car loans, because most Americans have a loan in their car, but on all the insurance products as well. And so the, the best way to help Americans who own cars is go, to go through the lenders who give out the loans, and particularly credit unions. Credit unions are like Sparkassen in Germany. Um, and so we're building software for these credit unions so they can reach out to their own members refinance their car loans and sell them better and cheaper insurance products. This is so cool. And we were chatting just to warm up before the show. And uh, you are originally from Bavaria. And right. I also know a lot about into, into cars. But first thing I said is, oh, I was so much in Bavaria when I did the, the strategy with BMW, with the CEO, Norbert Reithofer. And we were doing the i3, i8 strategy and then strategy rollout. So for for months and months and months, that was my office, good easing. And you said yeah. you were there, your school was there. I went to school there. Yeah, I went to uh, high school, basically. Gymnasium from the 6th to the 11th grade before we moved to Hamburg. And it's funny that you mentioned BMW because I remember when BMW introduced the M5. Yeah, they introduced it at Good Easing, Schloss Good Easing. And so we were go- coming out of school, going to the bus stop, and we saw these incredible cars going up the hill. Um, and so I very vividly remember BMW being very present in that area. It's so funny. What a small world. Yes. Also, Pischenfrieder lived very close to, uh, back then, the CEO of C- uh, BMW used to live very close to where we used to live. He spent the weekends in the Kimse. Beautiful. The Kimse is such a wonderful space. And uh, so now you are into something completely different. Very different. We go there also. But first, let's talk about this raising money thing. What did you learn? Uh, how did you start? And uh, what did you learn on, on your path? 
Yeah. To answer that question, let me go back one step, tell you a little bit about my entrepreneurial journey, and then we'll get into the fundraising naturally. So I'm, I'm from Germany originally. I moved to the U.S. in 2011 to go to business school. Um, I really wanted to go to San Francisco or to the Bay Area to start a tech company, and I thought the best way for me as a foreigner with not tons of experience in tech would be to move there and go to business school, which worked out really well for us. At Stanford, that's where I met Chris, my future co-founder. He's American, was MIT undergrad, worked for McKinsey many years, and as I said, huge car enthusiast. And then towards the end of business school, we, we ended up selling our classmates' cars. So we just helped them sell their cars because they were leaving the area, moving to the city. And then we were selling more and more cars, and our professors and lecturers heard about it. And when I had a beer with one of them and told him that I don't know what to do with my life because uh, somehow I ended up selling cars after business school, he said, you should make this a business. And if you do want to make this a business, here's $50,000 if you want to get started. And so it, it was very different than you'd think. Like I didn't, didn't go out to raise money actively. It was one of my professors, lecturers, mentors, and now very good friend who encouraged us to make it a business because he said the car space is a little messed up and needs, needs some innovation. And we're enthusiastic and gets our, get our hands dirty. So we would be the right entrepreneurs to take a stab at it. And uh, that's, that's what kicked off our seed fundraising. We, we thought we'd raise $200,000, $400,000, ended up with $1.2 million, um, again, mostly from professors and lecturers. Then we chose to go through Y Combinator, the startup accelerator experience. And when we hit product market fit, which means when we were selling more and more cars and capital became the bottleneck, we started reaching out to venture capital investors who we had been in touch with, we, who we had been keeping posted on our progress and told them, hey, for the first time in a year and a half, capital is the bottleneck now to grow the company. And they said, yeah, that's what I'm good at, giving you capital. And so we ended up raising $10 million, mainly because we had found product market fit and the company was scaling pretty rapidly at the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And what would you tell somebody who right now is raising money in terms of what to take care of, not to waste too much time, and, and, and other, other possible pitfalls that you have encountered? Well, it depends very much in which stage of the company you are. Let's say, so it's rel relatively well structured now, at least in the US, you have pre-seed, you have seed, and then you have seed A. Beyond that, it becomes more growth capital, and we can go into that too, but if you're, if you're passionate about a space, but you don't have a co-founder and you don't have an idea quite yet, you just know that it's a space you're interested in, then you should go for a pre-seed round rate. Like in America, you would raise somewhere between half a million and a million at a valuation of say 4 million or so. And it gives you time and space to experiment and figure out what product you want to build. Once you nailed the product and said, okay, so I know what I want to build. I know there should be customers out there. I know I can solve a problem that other people aren't solving right now. You raise a seed round of around 2 million these days at around 8 million valuation or so. Then you make progress. You find product market fit. So you, you want to get to a point where customers are pulling what you have, your product or service out of your hand. And once you feel this pull, then it's time to raise a series A which is institutional from the venture capital funds you would know. These rounds are somewhere between five and $10 million on average now, I would say. And so that you use to scale the business because you, you, you found something that works. Um, and so if the mistake that a lot of people make, including ourselves, 
um, you try to raise too much too early and you're approaching the wrong investors. So if you're like, I'm really passionate about saving Americans a lot of money on their car loans, for example, you can't run to Series A investors and tell them, here's the business I want to build because they'll ask you a question you can't answer. They'll ask you, how big is the market? What's your go-to-market strategy? What are your unit economics? And so you can't answer these questions. And so you'll just waste your time. If you go to the very early investor pre-seed, for example, that's where they'll probably understand. Okay, so I understand you have some authenticity to the space because you have the background. It's a big space. Um, go figure it out. In, in our case, in the previous business, we went straight into seat because we, we had already had some revenue. We had already sold com uh, cars and we, we kind of knew what we wanted to build. We just needed a seed round to figure out product market fit and then scale. And so depending on where you are, in a nutshell, if you have an idea and a space that you're interested in but haven't done anything, go for pre-seed. If you have a product and you feel like you, you know who the customer is, you just need to experiment, experiment more, go for seed. And you have a product, you understand the economics, you're selling already, you have revenue, go for Series A. And if you're attacking a big market, each of these fundraisers shouldn't actually take that long for as long as you're talking to the right people and you're in the right stage of the company. Being at Y Combinator is a great experience and is a great network. So you have seen a lot of smart people building cool stuff. Uh, we have a segment in the show called the Strategy Award, which when where you can pick one person who is doing great stuff and you want to promote this person. Who would who would you give the Strategy Award to? There's so many. Um... Let's see. So there's three people that come to mind that also went through Y Combinator. There is Tony Shu, who started DoorDash. She was one of our classmates, which just went public. So that worked out really well, obviously. I think he's he's very good, obviously. Um, then there's another company, which was in our batch called Checker. The founders were doing background checks, so worked for background check companies. And then when DoorDash and Uber and all these companies had a lot of need for background checks, but on an API level, these guys started their company. That went really well. Um, and then there is actually one guy who we became really good friends with, Vlad. That's the guy we should promote because I love this guy and I think he's impressive. He started a company like Hotel Tonight, very similar to that, um, but then started another company uh, which is an online pharmacy and now helped two founders start another company. So he's really, really good about the early stages, finding product market fit, doing go to market. And uh, so Vlad, that's his name. I'll give you this name so you can tag him on LinkedIn. Um, out of all the people I know, he's, he's proven to repeatedly develop really strong go to market strategies for products that later on became really successful. Beautiful. And uh, so how, how did the journey continue? You, you were at Y Combinator, you, you validated, you found product market fit. How, what was next? Yeah, good question. So the, the reason Y Combinator is really interesting is because you have three months to prove that you can grow whatever you're working on. And so towards the end of the YC experience, every YC startup pitches the same presentation with here's what I'm doing, here's the problem solving, here's the market size, and here's how I'm growing. And so since all of them grow from a small base, all the growth charts go to the top and the right. And so that's true for ours too. That was true for ours too. 
we however didn't feel like our business wasn't working we we were still doing a, a version of the business where i helped private individuals sell their cars to other private individuals so peer to peer and we forced sales and we were selling i think 50 or 60 cars a month which if you assume an average price of 15,000 that, that's like a million dollars in at least top line uh, per month but um the business didn't quite work and didn't didn't scale very well so when when i was on the stage pitching our business on demo day i actually didn't believe the business that i was building and and instead of raising a series a we decided to take in a little bit more seed money from seed investors and partner partners at yc to figure out a slightly different version of the model and so instead of selling cars peer to peer we got rid of all the private sellers um, and instead started working with institutions, leasing companies, rental companies who have much more inventory at lower prices and they're much less emotional around the sale because for them it's just metal they're moving. And when we started using that inventory and advertised it online, that's when the business really started taking off. Um, and that's when we were able to raise our Series A from a venture capital investor in Silicon Valley. Um, and then this is this is typical startup. So we thought this was working and we wanted to double down and wanted to just do more of the same hired people to scale us and the organization. And then we had another ceiling almost two years later where we, we were tapping out of the market of people who could pay in cash for cars and wanted to buy online. And so the, the only two ways out, out of that trap was either figure out a way to provide financing to car buyers with less good credit history, or to figure out whether or not we go to different markets and, and try to find the same type of customer. And both of these options were either incredibly capital intensive or very hard to do because you needed to build like a lending organization within the startup. It, it's like a big startup within a startup. And that's when we started talking to our friends at Carvana who had solved both of these issues already and uh, quickly realized it makes a lot more sense for all of us if we didn't compete against them, but if we took our whole team, sold the business to Carvana, uh, switched lanes and then continued working for Carvana, which we ended up doing in 2017, from 2017 to 2020, like this year, um, worked out really well for us. Luckily, it worked out very well for the team and, and then it was time to start up again. Nice. So before we go to your current venture, what are three books that shaped you most? <laughs> that shaped me most? Um, there's three books that I recently, with recently, I mean, over the last three years, read more than once and, and studied. And so the first one is The Everything Store. from That's basically the Amazon story. And so that book is really interesting because the Amazon business is very similar to the Carvana business. And so if you read the book, you see a lot of parallels, things that Amazon tried that didn't work, then Amazon tried that did work. And since Carvana is e-commerce for cars and the business is so similar, it helped us a lot and it helped me a lot understand what would make sense. And so the everything store is the first one. And one book that I really like uh, and enjoyed is um, Never Split the Difference. Oh, it's yeah. a book written by this FBI hostage negotiator. Um, it's really interesting strategies. I love that book. And then the third one, because it's so applicable also for the phase of the first, the second company I've worked for the last four years was a blitz scaling, how to go from a small company that, that looks 
and searches for product market fit to scaling the business once you've found it. Um, and those three books are really, really good books. Highly recommend them. Scaling. Chris Voss, um, Never Split the Difference, is also a wonderful audiobook, which yeah. I listen to sometimes when I go running because he's, he's talking himself and he's, he has such a great voice. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah. I, I read the book and then I happened to, my lease happened to run out. And so I'm like, great. So let's try all the strategies he's using. And uh, I think I, I drove my landlord crazy, but it worked great. <laughs> what, did, what did you try? The, the late well, night DJ voice? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, uh, so I, I wanted to get to a no real quick. So I knew what the problem was. So I told them, hey, I'm so happy here. And here's everything that I've been doing as a great tenant of your building. Um, I've been thinking to pay a little less for rent if, and then I named a ridiculously low amount would be acceptable. And they, they're like, no, absolutely not. Like, I, I don't know where you came up with that amount. And then instead of like saying, no, I, I managed to get the tenant uh, the landlord to negotiate against himself or herself. And then also COVID hit, which in San Francisco impacted rents very, very drastically. And so we ended up paying, I think we're paying 20% less now than we paid before. Obviously, thanks to a number of circumstances, but um, I'm sure that the book helped me a lot too. Absolutely. Are you still in San Francisco? Uh, I, yeah, I'm not in San Francisco right now, but, but I call San Francisco home. Yeah, because most guests from San Francisco are telling me that they are going abroad or they just went uh, abroad. How, how do you experience this topic? Yeah, so my, my parents live in Germany and I wanted to spend Christmas with them. So I made my way from the West Coast to the East Coast, camped out there for two weeks just to make sure I'm healthy. Then flew to Germany, spent uh, Christmas in Berlin with my mom, my brother. Luckily, everybody stayed healthy. Now I'm on the way back. but since we can work remotely and our team is pretty small right now, plus a lot of our team members actually live in Latin America. Um, I decided to make a stopover in Latin America before I go back to the U S um, and I'm, I'm equally as productive um, and I'm enjoying the summer versus the winter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it, it seems like San Francisco is really thinned out. Like there is nobody, nobody staying, everybody leaving. And uh, do you do you see also people who say no? I'm gonna stay. I, I love it here. It's getting better. Yeah. So a couple of thoughts. A so San Francisco was incredibly expensive, primarily because you have limited space, lots of capital coming in. All these companies that pay really high high amounts, and real estate isn't being developed as quickly as people move to the city. And so prices were going up a lot when COVID started, and everybody realized we can just work remotely. A lot of companies told their employees, you leave the Bay Area. Like, there's no point for you to be here unless you really want to be there. And so what a lot of Americans did, um, internationals too, they, they took advantage of the situation, started traveling and working remotely while having fun experiences. I do think people will move back eventually. There's just too much infrastructure and um, like the ecosystem is there. And it, it really matters, I think at least in the early stages of a company to some, at least have footprint there. But um, 
I highly encourage other startups and founders to explore working remotely because you tap you can tap into a much bigger talent pool. And um, then there's there's just areas and places in this world where where people where cost of living is so much lower than everybody benefits. All right. So we have covered the past how to raise 10 millions, how to grow, scale, sell. Then we have covered the three books that influenced you more, The Everything Store, Never Split the Difference, and Blitz Scaling. Now yeah. let's go to the future. You are building something right now. Tell us about it. Yeah, so we, we left Carvana, the company that acquired us earlier this year, um, for many reasons, including we, we were really hungry and eager to start another business. Um, we got financially very lucky with the exit, amongst others, because the share price exploded. And um, we now feel like whatever we wanted to do, we wanted to do something that helps people. And in our case, we, we just happened to understand the car space so well that we felt like we could have most and biggest impact if we were to help Americans who own cars save a, little, a lot of money on these cars. And so we decided that whatever we do, we didn't, we weren't quite sure around the business we wanted to build. We wanted to spend the next 10 years of our entrepreneurial journey on helping Americans save money. And we, like, we, we, it's similar to what I said earlier, like we actually didn't know what we wanted to build. We just had a conviction around a few verticals and angles, how to enter the market and uh, went fundraising and uh, had lots of really good conversations. It's, it's not completely announced yet, so I'll, I'll, I'll not spill the beans, but um, fundraising went really well, I think amongst others, because we have a lot of authenticity in the space and we've done it before, at least to some extent. And so cap getting capital, fortunately, didn't take us a lot of time. And, and now we're very lean and trying to figure out what's the best business we can build in the space. And we started out going direct to consumers. So we built up a lot of content around auto refinancing. So lower the expenses on your car loan. Um, drove a lot of organic traffic to the website. And once we had demand and people to talk to, we could go to banks and credit units and figure out, do we want to match make or how can we be most impactful? And what we learned during the process is the best business we can build is not like a platform, like a matchmaking platform but a software business for credit unions and auto lenders to more effectively go digital and help their own members and customers lower their car ownership expenses. And so it's more of a B2B to C play now, which we're really excited about. And, and as we speak, we're, we're exploring, looking for product market fit, having pilots. And once we feel like, okay, this is working, then we'll just scale the business. And that's obviously a very ex exciting phase of the company as we speak. This is so cool. And I never, never met any entrepreneur. And I meet many entrepreneurs every week. And I never met one who, after the exit, just said, okay, now I'm going to play golf. No, uh, I, I used to play golf before. <laughs> golf there. Uh, but, but nobody says, okay, I'm, now I'm just going to pursue my, my life and my hobbies. Everybody starts the next thing. What's your hypothesis? Are we just builders? We like to build. We 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 love the endorphins. Um, maybe maybe you like the pain. <laughs> you feel more pain than endorphins. Um, what is it? I in our case, like we had the experience of being part of a very successful company that became incredibly big, 
Carvana is now the, the most valued car retailer in the US. We were very close to the founding team and to the executives. So we had a really nice home. Like that would have been a really incredible job. We, we just felt that if, if we wouldn't start this new company and help Americans save money, I don't think anybody else would have. And it was felt obvious to us that somebody had to change something in the space because people spend 15 to 20% of their income on car ownership per year. Um, and so since we financially, we were in a position where we were so lucky that we could take more risk, we had the domain authority and authenticity in the car and auto lending space that we were relatively uniquely qualified to do it. And then we are young and hungry and, and eager and like we're looking for the next adventure. And so it made a lot of sense for us. I, I don't think I see myself quite yet working in a big company and being an employee. Maybe someday, but right now I've got too much energy and, and um, excitement around building something new, just as you said. I'm more of a builder now still than, than like a manager, if that makes sense. And it's, yeah, if you have tasted freedom, you cannot go back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, but I find it uh, fascinating that uh, I was thinking of, when, when I think of entrepreneurship in the very first years, I think of endorphins, but also you were thinking of pain. Let's go there because many people are listening right now say, oh, I, was, I would also would like to start my own thing. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and they have just fantasies about it. So maybe let's share a little bit about yeah. the pain and what's really going on. And maybe also endorphins, but yeah. really going on in the first years of starting something. Yeah, so two thoughts here. Number one, no company that you see that's successful started out doing exactly what the company is doing right now. But people, people serendipitously stumbled into whatever they're doing right now. You can think of any company, and I'll explain to you. I'll give you examples how they started out doing something completely different, and now they're doing what really works. And so that means this initial hypothesis and conviction didn't turn out to be true. And if you're really convinced and excited about one idea and you find out it doesn't work, it hurts. And then that's where a lot of people actually struggle and don't know how to go on. In reality, that's just the beginning. Like you need to feel the pain. You need to, it's just like a negotiation. You need to get to the no, this doesn't work very quickly in order to leverage the fact that people are talking to, to learn from them. And they'll tell you what to build. So in our case, for example, in, in this new business, we thought let's just find people who want to, lower their, their loan costs or lower the interest rate in their car loans and then find lenders. And so we were successful driving a lot of traffic to the website, took these, these, this demand and went to the lenders. And lenders were like, yeah, that's interesting, but not that interesting. We're like, this is obvious. Like, you want to help this guy? Just lower the expenses and you have a new loan. And then we got these lenders to talk to us and tell us, you know what, 80% of our own members don't have their auto loan with us, could save so much money. Like we'll take a new member, but in reality, we're trying to figure out how to help our existing members. And so a light bulb went on when we heard that. And then we heard it twice and three times and four times. And so we decided to dig deeper and better understand what does it entail? And is this something that we could solve with technology? And turns out that's a problem that we can solve very well with technology. And so we would have never gotten there had we not gotten a ton of no's or maybes, maybes are even worse than no's. And so people say like the entrepreneurial journey is like a roller coaster. Like what people don't understand is that every morning is a 
huge roller coaster ride and every afternoon another one and then the evenings and then the weekends because he can't work and make progress and so it, it's like a non-stop roller coaster with tons of ups and downs every day within the day and if you're if, if you don't get a thrill out of that or if you don't like the challenge of being like presented with complicated problems and questions every single day i think you run out of energy pretty quickly and if if money is your own motivator the main motivator will not last long at all because it's, it's just too painful like you need to enjoy this continuously failing and getting up and failing again until you hit something that really works and and when i think about endorphins it's that thrill of having this direct loop yeah. that the the weekend matters because i was in, uh, in 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 boards of big companies and we were excited there about something and we said okay let's do it oh let's let's go into that market that's a huge opportunity we have to enter that market okay let's aggressively enter that market and it took 12 months for the project to start because yeah. we had go to through so many meetings until we, we could really do it and after 12 months you know the energy is, is lost and and when you're in a startup there is stuff you have to you have to solve until the next day and yeah. you and whatever you do you have to validate it until thursday because on friday you want to learn from it and then either exactly, double yeah. next week or just pivot and let it be so the excitement turns directly into action and the feedback loop is like angry birds you know okay 500 points 800 points that's true that's true and that, and that keeps everybody energetic and on their toes because it's yeah, it's that's true. it's very yeah, alive. really in lots of instant gratification because you learn very quickly and if it's intellectually very stimulating and i guess that could be one of the reasons why why i can't stop and really enjoy it I've I've never fully thought through why I'm doing what I'm doing. It, it just feels like the the one fun thing I could spend my time on, and so I'm I'm lucky that I get to spend the time on it and potentially help a lot of people and potentially build a big company. Absolutely. And where can people stick around and find more of you? I think we lost you right now. Nicolas, where can people stay in touch with you? All right. We'll put it in the show notes oh. later. Ah, you're back. Okay, where? back. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. So yeah, you can go to the website. The company is called Clutch with Clutch.com. Or just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Just put my link, my LinkedIn link in the in the show notes and the website link in the show notes. Um, yeah, connect with me on, on LinkedIn. We can chat. If, if you want to raise money, I'd be interested in understanding what you're building and happy to make introductions. If you have feedback for us, feedback is a gift. So I appreciate hearing, hearing from you. Beautiful. And uh, my usual question, who should be my next guest? Um, I can think of three really good options. There is uh, one of our very good friends and mentors. He's building a company called Pay Near Me. It's um, a payment payment company for, I think, also lenders, actually. Uh, that's the second company, the first one he sold to Amazon. His name is Danny Shader. He's an interesting guy. Um, then I know an Argentinian founder who's amazing. He's building software as a service for marketing agencies. He started his career in a marketing agency that grew 
and then realized, hey, the software we're building for ourselves is software that would help other agencies. Mm-hmm. And uh, the third one would be a very good friend of mine from Brazil who he, he started a cloud kitchen. So he takes really successful food brands and, and builds a kitchen, gets the recipes, and then sells the food online for food delivery. His name is Andres. So these, these three guys, I think, would be a really good fit. Wow. So we'll have a great January. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nicolas, for being here. Keep rolling, man. Keep doing your magic. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.